welcome to the Point of Impact podcast with Rick McDaniel. Thanks for joining us today. Get ready to be inspired and motivated to live a high impact life. Now here's Rick. Welcome to another episode of the Point of Impact podcast. I'm Rick McDaniel. Great to have you joining us again today. And we have focused, except for one break, uh, talking about influence we focused on this pandemic now for quite a while, like six weeks. And uh, I've been given all kinds of uh, help in terms of encouragement for how to deal with this pandemic, uh, things to consider in terms of uh, encouraging thoughts in the middle of this and various things that you can do, ways, steps. I've I've poured uh, a lot of time and effort into trying to help you deal with this unprecedented challenge that we face and I've enjoyed every minute of it. I appreciate the feedback, and I just really hope that this is really helping you in a significant, significant way. Today, I want to now give my thoughts on on all of this. Uh, again, not my thoughts in the sense of what I've already talked about, things you can do, but just a larger kind of macro overview look at this pandemic and what I think is happening, what I would call facts over fear, uh, a pandemic response, you know, what what should our larger response be? And I've done an enormous amount of reading and study and uh, discussion as a leader. It's it's my job to lead an organization and then as a, as a, a national leader to be able to, from the faith perspective, to talk about these things, to be interviewed about them, to write about them, all of which I've done, and but I really haven't done that in the podcast. I've focused solely on just helping folks in various ways, trying to help you with uh, dealing with all of this. But but and I want to do that today. By the way, it's not like oh, today is not helping you. It, in fact, in some ways, this is the ultimate help because really, in terms of just looking overall at what is going on and trying to. Uh, differentiate between facts and fear. And and I, I guess really that that is where I want to start, which is that I feel like there's a contagion out there and it's actually um, more dangerous and grows faster and spreads more quickly than the actual COVID-19 coronavirus. And, and that is fear. I think that fear and, and really almost a level of a degree, you might say, of, of paranoia has infected our population. And every day that, that this goes on, there is really a, a kind of a message that, you know, we're all going to die uh, if we, you know, start engaging in normal activity and death is is right around the door for all of us. And yet there's no facts to back that up at all. I mean, none, zero, absolutely zero. So that's stunning to me that, that we've kind of gotten to this place, except that in all my years of leadership, I've said this way before this ever happened, that of all the things that people deal with, fear is at the top of the list. It is the single greatest thing that I see people deal with. And and that and it shows itself, you know, in all kinds of ways. Fear of rejection, fear of public speaking, fear of failure, fear of suffering. Fear of the future. It just, it doesn't end. Financial fear. And on and on and on it goes. 
So if that's the thing that most challenges people on a regular basis, then if you really come up against something super challenging, it's not all that surprising then that you would end up in this situation that we're in where we have an irrational fear that is simply not supported by facts or or reality that the coronavirus has just created an unprecedented fear and it's fueled by huge doses of daily information that are that is spread by really a lot of headlines and media that I've read that are just like stoking I mean it's it's just like, how can we make this worse? Yeah, stay-at-home orders, economic shutdown, school closings. I mean, this will cause a loss of equilibrium in, in any person. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, you don't need to make it worse than it already is. And yet that seems to be the, the goal, at least as, as I read some of these headlines, they seem to just be sensationalized as much as they absolutely positively can. And, and what results from all that is just an, an enormous amount of fear. And what happens when you're fearful is that you don't think properly. I mean, that's it. Panicking does not solve problems. It, it, it creates problems. And, and I've said this before, but I never again said it on the podcast. Fear is a feeling. Afraid is a choice. We can recognize this situation is challenging but we need to focus on a healthy response. You can feel fearful, but you don't have to be afraid. That is that is a choice that that we make, and and it's an ex- extremely important that we determine you know what our choices are, especially in a significant time like we're in right now. Now you may say, "All right, Mister Facts, l- let's have the facts. Let's you know lay it on me here. If if there are in fact facts, then I would like to know what those facts are." And so let's just begin with this idea that a majority of Americans believe that this coronavirus danger is ubiquitous. It's it's everywhere. You know that um, you know that we are just going to lose all, all kinds of people. And will sacrifice millions of people's livelihoods in order to feel safe. 73% of people in a Wall Street Journal NBC poll were worried that they or someone in their immediate family would become infected. That's almost three out of four. Do you realize that what that would mean? I mean, that the amount of people that that would then translate to in terms of Americans infected is just, that's an enormous amount of people. If you have that kind of fear that three quarters of all Americans, 330 million Americans, you know, just do the math. I mean, you're talking about what, over 250 million Americans would be infected. So is that likely to happen? Probably not. But you know, what is more uh, concerning than this idea of the infection is the idea of that it's it's death that death is the you know that's the option that's what's going to happen. I watched this uh, comedy show to raise money for feeding uh, people that are in need, which is a cause that I'm very much in support of, and our church has been involved in this for years and years and years. Believe so strongly in and helping people, especially those that are in need of food. 
I also love comedy shows, so I thought this was right up my alley, and it was some of the worst comedy and the least funny stuff that I've ever seen, even by major people that I think are super funny in almost any other setting. And the overall message of that really was this idea that you have to stay at home, that that's really the whole thing. Just stay at home, and, and that's the answer to, to everything. Otherwise, people die. And, and yet, is that really true? You know, is that what is reality? Is that what's really, in fact, happening? Uh, it's, it's not. It's just, it's not true. It's, but yet, that's what people feel. Gallup just came out with a poll. 60% of Americans are worried, are filled with worry and stress. 60% of Americans feel that way. And what's really startling is how much higher that is than when the poll was taking taken previously. It's an enormous, enormous 21-point increase. And just to put on the perspective, in the recession of 2008, that increase was five points, five percentage points. This time it's 21 percentage points. It's an enormous increase. The Kaiser Family Foundation uh, did a did a poll, and this was this poll is old. It's like two months old now and found 45% of respondents said that worry and stress was was having a negative effect on their mental health, and 19% said it was having a major impact on their mental health. I mean, th- these are the these are the facts here. This is what this is what is happening. This is how people are feeling about what's going on, and so that's it. And so, what's that all about? Now, let me just be clear before I go any further for for those who would say, wow, you know, as a leader, especially as a faith leader, aren't you concerned about human life? I'm absolutely concerned about human life. I think that I believe strongly in the sanctity of life and the value of every human life and the fact that we have lost 70-something thousand, it's hard to get an accurate number of people it's just unbelievable. That's it's a stunning number for sure. And so, in no way am I, uh, in any way whatsoever, trying to say that the loss of human life is somehow acceptable. All I'm trying to do is give a, a healthy and logical and rational perspective on this. And let's just do this by by looking at the national death rate for all causes last year was 723.6 per 100,000 people in America. 723.6. I know it's weird to talk about human life, and let's just round it up. 724 lives in every 100,000 people who who live in America. So that just gives you a sense sense of it. And um, just to understand, like the big killer, heart disease, 164 people per 100,000. So that's what we're looking at. All right. Now, this is California's coronavirus death rate, four per 100,000. Again, heart disease, 164 per 100,000. Coronavirus in the largest state in America, four. Four. In Utah, one in Washington state, nine in Georgia, eight in Texas, 
another gigantic state in America, two deaths per 100,000 people in Florida with its enormous elderly population, four deaths per 100,000. Stunning, right? All right, how about a little bit more for perspective? The death rate of flu and pneumonia last year, 14 per 100,000. 14 in America per 100,000. That's higher than any of the coronavirus death, death rates that I just read off to you of all those different states. That's higher than any of them. And it's more than triple in giant states like Florida and California. And this is just some stunning stuff. Diabetes, 21 deaths per 100,000. So most of our country has suffered a toll from coronavirus that is markedly lower than the annual death rates of other ailments like the flu and diabetes, for instance, and of course, nowhere near the massive number of heart disease. So these are simply the facts, friends. This is not a, a, a disease that is killing a huge number of, of people. Not all people. It is in a particular population. And let's look at that population. In New York City, the percentage of coronavirus deaths of people who had pre-existing conditions was, ready for this, 99%. 99% of the place where more people have died in America from coronavirus, COVID-19, than anywhere else in the country it's 99% from pre-existing conditions. In Massachusetts, which has the third highest number of deaths in America, only New York and New Jersey more, 98% of all deaths were people with pre-existing conditions. 23% of all coronavirus deaths in America, nursing homes, almost one quarter. So it's not hard to see then that this is where the deaths are taking place. This is where it is happening. It is happening in a particular vulnerable population of people that are elderly and have pre-existing conditions. Not everyone. In fact, again, here are some remarkable numbers. 10 children, according to the CDC, 10 children in all of America have died from COVID-19 between zero, uh, you know, birth, babies, and 14 years old, 10. In that same age group last year, 107 died from pneumonia and 85 died from the flu. These are just the facts, the factual numbers. No schools were ever closed when kids were dying from pneumonia or the flu. In the 15 to 24 age bracket, you know, the college, now we're getting into the college, 48 in the entire country, 48 in the entire country have died from COVID-19. Last year, 143 died from pneumonia and 41 died from the flu. And again, no colleges or universities were closed down. I mean, these are just factual numbers. It's just the, our facts over fear.
this idea people are going to die. It's just there's it's certain people are at much greater risk, but it's not something that is just everywhere. It's not the bubonic plague. It's not like the contagion from the last ship television show. It's not like that. Those at greatest risk of death from coronavirus are a subset of, of Americans, 15% of Americans that are older than 65. But of course, that doesn't mean all of them even have pre-existing conditions. This is where the vast, 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 vast majority of all deaths are taking place. Of the 200 million Americans that are under 45, the numbers are just incredibly low. Fewer than 1,000 people have died. Coronavirus is a big threat to a small percentage of our population and a small threat to the majority of our population. That might be worth hearing again. Coronavirus is a big threat to a small percentage of our population and a small threat to the majority of our population. And that's the facts. So how did we get here? How did we get here? Well, we got here because we had to flatten the curve because we told everybody that they have to stay inside and we just uh, scared them into, you know, following the guidelines in, in, in a nutshell. But at the same time, there's always collateral damage, or I'm not even sure if it's collateral, other kinds of damage that takes place. And in this case, the locking up of people and the keeping them from being able to do the normal things that they've done all their lives has serious, serious impact on people's mental health. People with no previous symptoms of anxiety or depression are reporting nightmares, panic attacks. All types of, of anxiety is taking place. This is what's happening. I mean, there's just, it's, it's undeniable. It's a story of a college student who came home from school in Colorado and, and um, stayed with his parents. And then as time went on, realized that, you know, they're under 65. They don't have any pre-existing conditions, but they were disinfecting packages left by Amazon and wearing N95 masks, which are, you know, hospital level masks. And so he went to see some of his friends. His parents called, told him he was at his friend's house. They shouldn't be worried. They told him to come home. He said he'd been drinking and didn't want to drive. And then they called the police on their son. Police officers came over, woke up the friend's dad, shining a spotlight in the bedroom window. I mean, this 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 kind of stuff is not good. Here's here's another story of uh, uh, someone's sister left New York City, went to a house in New Jersey, and usually my sister is a fit, energetic, and smiling woman. And when I saw her, she was pensive, pale, thin, and just a scared shell of herself. And both of her children, son and daughter, were just suffering from the same kind of fear, this just irrational, overwhelming fear that is not based in facts or in reality. This is heartbreaking stuff. From my perspective, it's, it's heartbreaking stuff. If this was really a killer bubonic plague type of thing that was going to kill a third to half all Americans, then this type of 
uh, behavior and fear would be warranted, but it simply isn't. It just isn't. It is not warranted. And the impact that it's having on people's mental health and well-being, the, the rates, the, the increase in people calling a mental health hotline has increased by 1,000%. 1,000%. People are not getting, now this is changing now, starting to change, but for like at least two months, people were not getting regular medical care. They believe that many more people will now die from cancer because they they didn't have their cancer treated through chemotherapy and other methods the last two months. They didn't have their cancer diagnosed Two-thirds of women have stopped getting pap smears during this time, which can lead to cervical cancer if you don't have it identified through a pap smear. In other words, the damage to people, the death could be far greater, far greater than anything that this virus would ever have brought in terms of what will happen from suicide, addiction, cancer deaths, and other health-related issues that were not properly treated when no one could go to a hospital for virtually anything, all because the model said our health system would be overwhelmed, and in fact, it, it, it did not get overwhelmed. This is just, again, fear just going out of control. I've spoken on it, written on it before, so I'm just going to say it again for those of you that heard it, haven't heard it. Fear breeds fear. Yes, Fear breeds fear. The more we focus on it, the more exaggerated and distorted it becomes. Fear creates amnesia, and I would call spiritual amnesia, where we don't remember all the good things that God has done. We seem to forget all the ways that we've made it through various challenging situations in the past. Fear gets a grip on us, and we overlook the good. We become negative, and we lose sight of what is positive. Fear turns us into control freaks. Cataclysm leaves us with such a loss of control that we end up wanting to control even more. And gripped by fear, we hold on to anything. Security and stability become our God. And paralyzed by fear, that's what happens. The safest place, the most secure feeling. And while we focus on security and safety, opportunities pass us by. We miss miss out on so much. We stop trying, we stop creating, we stop risking. Then we can't move forward. As individually, we can't move forward. As a family, as a country, as a community. Fear limits our future. It restrains what we can do. Fear drains us. It depletes us of our courage. Fear is contagious. It quickly, quickly spreads. We have to fight the fear. That's what we have to do. Fight the fear. And this doesn't even really fully get into the whole economic impact of what happens when people can't work, don't have a sense of meaning, and don't have financial resources that they need to live. U.S. unemployment is at depression levels. Small business people who risk their savings in hopes of creating something can see it destroyed. Some estimate that up to a third of local businesses will never reopen. This is devastating stuff to just consider. Small theaters and regional orchestras 
Will they ever even be able to make it? And and again, this is just a a small part. Uh, you know, we could talk, all talk about restaurants. My favorite restaurant is just trying to hold on and trying to survive on takeout until things open up again. Now, I just want to be clear because, you know, some of you say, well, you know, Rick, are you not supportive of these various guidelines? I'm supportive of them in terms of social distancing for, for this time being, not forever, but for this time being. I'm supportive of that. I have mixed feelings about whether masks are effective when someone says the Surgeon General don't wear them and now we should wear them. Uh, and there certainly are freedom and liberty issues there, but that I can see both sides of that argument easily enough. And certainly we, you know, the, I, the hand washing, you know, I, I talked about that already, how important that is and, and, and scientifically, medically, exactly how that works. It's just amazing that what soap and water can do to this virus is just remarkable. So I'm not against any of those things, but I can tell you I haven't lived my life in fear. I've, I've been on planes twice. I've gone to my office every day, gotten my hair cut, you know, never gotten sick, never even had the closest symptom. I'll get a COVID test here in a little bit just to be able to confirm all of that, that this lifestyle that I've had hasn't in any way, shape or form caused me to be a danger to anyone else and certainly hasn't caused any, any sickness in, in my own life. These, But these are, are stunning things to consider as we think about the students and, and schools and just think about, again, as I said earlier, that the statistics are higher for other deaths from flu and pneumonia than from this, and yet we shut down the schools and the pressure that that has put on families is enormous. And, and, and the setback that has been for kids and their learning is gigantic. And again, we have to ask ourselves, is there's the, the science does not back up death. And if people get sick, they get sick. People have always gotten sick from all kinds of things. So if this is like a flu and people have gotten the flu and no one wants to get the flu, but you don't stop everything because of that, you work around it. You, we could get into the whole issue of sports, which is near and dear to my heart, as some of you know. And I mean, it's just incredible to think about. Everything's just been shut down. And now maybe baseball starts up in July. Still nothing about the NBA or the NHL and all this talk about what might happen with the NFL and with college football. It's, it's remarkable stuff. Remarkable, remarkable stuff. Soon my church will start having services again, and when we do, we'll, we'll follow all the guidelines in terms of disinfecting and sanitizer available. And we'll remove uh, obstacles in, that could cause uh, any sort of spread to take place, and we, we will do things differently, but we will certainly be able to have church again, even if it's at 50% capacity. Things, I believe, need to return to normalcy for the mental health of everyone. And if we follow the guidelines as we should, the reasonable, basic ones, then we should be able to move forward here. And again, everything based on 
the actual facts and not an irrational fear that drives decision-making in a way that just is not healthy for anyone. And my greatest concern is that the damage that is going to be done from not treating people from mental health issues is going to be far greater than the deaths that took place from this actual virus itself. I recognize this is challenging stuff and it's uh, fear is a powerful thing and it's easy to give into it. But I hope that we can base our decisions on facts and I hope that we can move forward in a way that realizes that we need to be moving forward. We need to go in a positive direction and not stay holed up in our homes filled with fear and anxiety. And ultimately, from a faith perspective, trust that God is going to take care of us. And what I would say, faith over fear. Choose faith over fear. Choose to fight the fear. Fight against it. Don't give into it. Resist it. Fight it. Fight it. Battle it like you would battle other things in your life. Battle against the fear. Root yourself in facts and in faith. And with facts and faith, you can overcome fear. And I hope you'll do that. I believe more and more people are going to do it. And I believe that we have bright days ahead. Good visiting with you today. And I will talk to you again next week. You've been listening to the Point of Impact podcast with Rick McDaniel. Thanks for tuning in. And we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.